Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you get podcasts. If you're not as yet, make sure and become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up? Ah, not a whole lot, not a whole lot. And also today, uh, since we didn't have a, a show last week on National Signing Day because I was unfortunately under the weather, we got Greg Powers in the house. Greg, how you doing? What's good, y'all? I'm doing great. Ah, not a whole lot, man. It's uh, Signing Day is always such a big thing, but it's it's been kind of weird now that uh, that now Signing Day has sort of two days and February kind of gets devalued a little bit. I mean... Uh, it just feels different. You know, it used to be like you wake up in the morning, like 7 a.m. on signing day, and you just wait for all of these things coming. But it, it's kind of lost a little bit of that, that luster, hasn't it? It's lost a little bit of a, the luster as it relates to top kids making big national decisions or program-changing type of decisions on the actual national signing day. But what I do think the second – you know, the, the first signing day is called the early signing period, and the second – Sign is the actual traditional signing day. The actual traditional signing day now, I think, can be much more of a celebration. You can organize, you know, an event at your high school to celebrate not only the football signings but other signings that happen within your school. So I think it does give the high schools an opportunity to kick back and uh, enjoy the fruits of their labor a little bit more and and celebrate these kids who are going to be going on from their programs to play in college. Yeah, no, for me, I think it's always just weird too because, like, you know. The first signing day for football has kind of become the big signing period, obviously. I, right. mean, I mean, well over three quarters of classes end up being signed during that early signing day. And it's kind of weird to, to see all those kids sign but still not know how things are going to finish out until the second one. You know, because there was something about, like, a few years ago on, in February, you just, you know, you sign your class and you're like, okay, this is what we're working with. And now there's still so many uh, sort of unknowns. But now we have all of the information. Uh, and look. If you're going to talk about recruiting in the state of Texas in 2020, Texas A&M, they put forward the number six signing class in the country, the top one in the state, beating out Texas by, by a pretty decent amount, too. Uh, you know, Greg, when you look at this class, who kind of stands out to you in it and, and what kind of stands out to you about this class? Well, I'm going to always start with the in-state guys. Those are the guys who we concentrate most when we put together our uh, recruiting rankings at TexasFootball.com and I want to kind of start on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of people are, are going to point to DeMond Demas because he's such a great talent at a, a premier position at wide receiver. But I think the signing of Jalen Jones from Cibolo Steel is going to be a very key signing in this class. He's a defensive back who could play safety or he could play corner. And he is, you know, around six foot two, 190 pounds. And I've drawn comparisons to for him to guys. He's some kind of hybrid between Jeffrey Akuda and Jamal Adams. And that's <laughs> – pretty that's pretty uh, stinking pretty good you know that's cross good. yeah uh, but there's more than that you know what what really grabs my eye about what Jimbo Fisher in general has been able to do at Texas A&M is that he's been able to go to a wide array of states because when you look at his list you see 10 guys I think signed from Texas maybe there were a couple more than that 10 to 12 range from Texas and then you have guys at the top of that list from Illinois Arkansas 
New Jersey. You know, he's went everywhere to find talents that are going to come in and, and change that program or be leaders for that program, and he, he really doesn't care where they're from. He's trying to find the right fits uh, to fit into his schemes, and that's something that he did really well at Florida State, and he's going to continue to do that, I think, at Texas A&M. He'll recruit Texas, but he's not going to be shy about going into these other states and flexing. Well, when you do recruit nationally, now obviously there, there are plenty of high-level schools that do this, uh, but but when you recruit nationally, especially when you're a school in Texas, I mean, how do you how do you find all of these kids? How do you recruit all of these kids all around the country who are East Coast, West Coast, in the North and the South? How, how do you find all these kids and, and recruit them effectively? Well, I would say it's a bit easier if you're Texas A&M. Right. You know, because you're only targeting, for the most part, guys who are known commodities. They're these top-tier guys at a, a school like Texas A&M or LSU or Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson or those types of schools are going to offer, those, are, those guys are known. Uh, so they're not out there uh, going after guys who aren't big-time recruits. Now, they could discover some and get the ball rolling on a few of those guys, but it really starts in-house with their on-campus recruiting department. Those guys put together the list for coaches. They'll go out in the spring evaluation period, evaluate some of these guys, and it's really a strategy behind – using your resources to go out and identify these guys and figure out which ones you have the best shot at. That's what you really want to do when you're recruiting out of state. You can identify guys, but that means nothing if you have a, a no chance at getting them on your campus. Mm-hmm. You know, So you need to find guys who are interested in coming to Texas, and that's where it starts, in the office, the recruiting assistants, put together that list and start to figure out who's really truly interested in Texas A&M. And then it's the coach's job to go out there and start to build those relationships in the spring. Yeah. You know, Ish, this is, I, I don't think it's unfair to call this, you know, one of Texas A&M's best classes in the modern era. For sure. And, and this is kind of the first, like, truly, truly national level. Like, you're competing up there with, again, mm-hmm. the only guys ahead of them are Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State. Right. Like, that caliber. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's what, it's what part of the, one of the reasons why you brought Jimbo Fisher in, right? Right. It's because you knew that he has these strong recruiting ties, um, especially off the back of the instant success that Sumlin had at the time. Yeah. Obviously, it tailed off toward the end, but he came in with a huge class, uh, I believe back-to-back. I forgot exactly what classes they were, but obviously the Manziel year helped and then yeah. kind of made A&M to this national brand. Um, the SEC move helped as well. Got him in a lot of doors at Louisiana, a lot of doors in the Southeast that they typically weren't in. Um, and then a lot of Texas kids just wanted to play in the SEC. Right? Yeah. And they realized, okay, this is the best shot. If LSU's not going to come calling, this is the best shot I have to go play at uh, in the SEC. And why not do it in Texas? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think – Building off of that and then hiring somebody with the caliber that Jimbo Fisher has and having the swagger to be able to say, yeah, look, won a national title, A&M, I believe, you know, Jimbo Fisher coming in and repping and waving the flag of A&M means something and to a lot of these kids. So especially we talk about this generation of kids like, I mean, they know Jameis Winston. They know that Florida State team. For they sure. know that team that uh, went, uh, I forgot, they almost two years undefeated. I think the Oregon yeah. loss, obviously, in the Rose yeah. Bowl, but almost two complete seasons undefeated. They were like – that was when they were starting to really get into you know, middle school and when they're really starting to think of football as like an important avenue. They're like, oh, Jimbo, yeah, oh, man. Like, it was a brand for them. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's really interesting. Again, I mean, Greg mentioned it a little bit, but, like, you look across the board, right? Number one player from Illinois. Number one mm-hmm. player from, from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, number one player from Mississippi. Like, I mean, this is something – this isn't something that Jimbo said. This is something actually that Gary Patterson said. He said that he feels like TCU at times – outside of the state even has a better brand than it does in the states sure. and and obviously Texas A&M has a tremendous brand in the states mm-hmm. 
but it's kind of interesting to see how much it's grown outside of the states. Yeah. So yeah, I mean Texas A&M obviously the big story of signing day. They're putting that recruiting budget to good use. You know, I, I believe Texas A&M was the number one school in 2019, close to a two million dollar recruiting budget. And when well, you see that, you really have to you really have to see that it's beneficial to your program to spend that money. And there isn't one state that they went to outside of Texas and like that was the premier state for them to recruit. No question. I think they got two recruits from New Jersey. Right. You know, so that's I I don't remember them recruiting the state of New Jersey, but you know, New Jersey, Arizona, Missouri, Maryland, Florida, you know, these are states that aren't traditional hotbeds for Texas A&M recruiting, but mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher and his staff have found a way to get those guys on campus in College Station. Yeah. Yeah, well, after Texas A&M, uh, number seven, Auburn, number eight, Florida, Texas still ends up with a top 10 class at number nine. Uh, they did really well in the states. You know, I mean, they, sure. they ended up, uh, I think only like two of their kids were from out of state, one of them obviously being Bijan Robinson, the star running back. Uh, and, and obviously bringing in two star quarterbacks, Hudson Carr, Jaquindon Jackson as well. Greg, what kind of stands out to you about this class? Well, I love Hudson Card. I do think that he could be the quarterback of the future there. It's going to be an interesting thing with Jaquindon Jackson because he's a great quarterback as well but could play other positions. Um, what really impresses me about Hudson Card is his dual threat capability. Uh, in the open field, he's a dangerous runner and he's a very accurate passer who's continued to grow and mature physically uh, and he will do that even more so once he gets into a college strength and conditioning program. I really kind of like what uh, Texas continues to do uh, in the defensive backfield. You, they added a couple of safeties in this class or guys who could play multiple positions in the defensive backfield. Xavier Alford from Shadow Creek, Jaron Thompson from Lufkin. Both of those guys are guys who I would expect to come in and be big-time contributors. And up front, uh, especially on – really on both sides of the football. They they missed a couple of guys um, down the stretch, I guess you could say. They had a decommitment from uh, Princely uh, Umanmelian, and they were able to add Alfred Collins at the you know the 11th hour on National Signing Day. He did pick Texas over you know schools like Alabama and Oklahoma, and you put him to, into the mix with guys like Vernon Broughton and Sawyer Gorm-Welch, and I think that on the defensive side of the football where Chris Ash does have to rebuild and it looks like they're transitioning to a 4-3, they need those bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing is that, that kind of stood out to me about this is just how many sort of Texas high school football stars there were in this. You know, I think yeah. that they did a good job of, of trying to identify, you know, guys like Jaquindon Jackson, Hudson mm-hmm. Card, uh, you know, obviously a guy like Kelvante Dixon who, who signed on signing day. I mean, w- were there any sort of like big Texas high school football stars that kind of stood out to you? Uh, well, I mean, I guess the big the big discussion is going to be what happens between Card and Jackson. Right? Yeah, right. Who, who, yeah. Because obviously on paper you look at it, Jackson seems like the more ideal fit for what Tom Herman wants to do. I agree with you on Hudson Card. I think a lot of people are soured on him because he didn't Lake Travis didn't light it up when he stepped behind uh, center. And I don't know how much of that is his fault as opposed to one. He was also hurt a little bit his senior year. Sure. Um, and they also brought on a new offensive coordinator. And I think at all well, three things, actually, he was hurt. They brought on a new offensive coordinator and I don't think they really utilized RPO. I think as much as they should have with yeah. him, with somebody like him, uh, it was very traditional, like Travis, you know, yeah. uh, kind of scared. And maybe the they were scared of him getting hurt more. Also true. Um, but the third thing was Lake McCree got hurt this year and they had, they really struggled to find go-to targets for him his senior year. Last year, obviously he had, a. um, uh, Garrett Wilson so like right. that was that was obviously uh and then <laughs> Lake McCree one. was also healthy there too right. so like he had a lot more weapons to throw to 
they, they were kind of struggling at times this year to find uh, to find go to targets, and I think that kind of soured a lot of people. That the fact that he didn't have this breakout right, Jaquin and Jackson obviously lit the world on fire his senior year. Didn't have to play in a lot of sure. their uh, second halves because he was so good in the first half with Duncanville. Uh, Hudson Card didn't have that right. He it was definitely a little more spotty, and I think. Uh, People saw him start in that state championship game a couple years ago and like, oh, the sky's the limit for this guy. Um, There's a reason why he hasn't wavered in the eyes of recruiters and in the eyes of like recruiting analysts is he still maintained that, you know, four star consistent four star status of being one of the top uh, quarterbacks in this class. I bumped him up a few spots based on his (laughs) senior year performance because I liked what I saw on tape. It had nothing to do with the results or Mm -hmm. whatever. And there's a good argument to be made that the results are actually what predicate a lot of the success when you evaluate kids going to the college level. But right. I think Hudson Card has had enough of that success, battled through an injury to show toughness to come back. Uh, but I really like the quick trigger. I mean, that's yeah. the thing that I really like about him. He's able to get the football out quickly, and he's very accurate for being a dual-threat guy. So I think that he kind of has the best of all the worlds coming together. And back to your original point, Shahan, about – Recruiting in the state. Mm-hmm. What I find very interesting is the dynamic between Texas and Texas A&M. Because in 2019, Texas signed more out-of-state recruits than yeah. in-state recruits. Yeah. And Texas A&M uh, was on the other side of that coin. This year, Texas A&M goes out and signs more out-of-state recruits while Texas you know, circles the wagons and protects its home state borders again this year. So I think there's an interesting dynamic at play as these two programs uh and I think you got to put LSU and Oklahoma somewhat into that mix as a a factor as these top kids decide on where they're going to go. Those two programs are very heavy in the state of Texas, but as they battle over the top tier, the top 10 guys in the state kind of determines their out-of-state approach. And I think that's something that we'll see to carry over into 2021. But Texas is already off to a very, very hot start in 2021 in the state of Texas with multiple commits. I think they have seven maybe right now uh, from in-state already in that 2021 class. Wow. So when you when you keep going down the list, so, so TC is the only other top 30 class in the state. They actually have a, a slightly smaller class, but, I mean, managed to hit on some of the top guys like Quentin Johnson, a, a star receiver from Temple, Garrett Hayes, an offensive lineman from Athens. They also do add the number one dual threat quarterback in this class, which should make for an interesting sort of dynamic in that quarterback room once again. But, but Greg, I know a class that another very small class that you were very high on was SMU. Uh, you know, they only finished number eighty one in, in the composite because they only have fifteen commitments in that class. But, but when you look at what they were able to do in state, do you think that they were able to kind of capitalize on on what they achieved this season? Well, I love their quality. Yeah, That's what really kind of stands out to me. And when you think about SMU's recruiting class, what you have to bear in mind is that SMU has become the premier transfer destination maybe nationally or one of the premier transfer destinations nationally. Kids that are entering the transfer portal see uh, Dallas as a desirable area to come to, and they also see SMU as not only a program that can maybe get you some shine as they're a rising program on the national scene, uh, but they can get you ready for life outside of football. And the guys who are a bit more mature see that after they've been in college. For well, and, and not to interrupt you, but this week, I mean, Michael Williams from Stanford, right. I mean, bringing him back here, that's a big, big get for an SMU defense that really needed to rebuild. Uh, definitely, and, and he was a very, he was a top-rated guy from uh, Fort Worth All Saints when he signed with Stanford out of high school. Uh, but that's the type of kid that you're seeing that they are uh, having – 
having an appeal with. Uh, guys who want to come and they can come from a bigger program and feel like they have an equal chance to get uh, on the national stage, possibly play in front of NFL scouts, and now win a lot of football games. Sonny Dykes and his staff have proven that they're going to win football games there. Uh, but guys I love on this commitment list that SMU fans are probably going to know right away are actually a couple of junior college guys. Danny yeah. Gray from Blinn. Top is, 15 kid. Yeah, he's a big, big-time recruit. I mean, this is a guy who, if he would have qualified out of high school, he was like a top 300 national type of talent. Um, I see that he's rated as a three-star on the services, but I'm telling you, he's a four-star type of talent. He's a really good player. And Devere Levelston, uh, a guy from Tyler Junior College, who was a full qualifier that went the JUCO route and really stood out his first year in JUCO ball, will have – uh, lots of years of eligibility remaining. Uh, I think that was a huge get for SMU as well. So they've they've done a good job of making that program relevant now. Mm-hmm. You know, by mixing in these junior college guys and transfers, you don't have to wait if you're an SMU fan to see a great product on the field. It's already here. It's arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Inish, I mean, he mentioned Danny Gray. I mean, this is a kid who had offers from TCU, Auburn, Baylor, Florida State, you know, Mississippi State, Tennessee. Like, he is a big, big-time player. I mean – we saw SMU take that step last year, you know, mm-hmm. to where they're back up at 10 wins for the first time since the 80s. I mean, have you kind of felt that uh, that level of sort of excitement, I guess, around this program of what they can accomplish? I think so. Um, I think it tailed off towards the end, obviously, with the yeah. loss to Memphis. And, you know, it kind of you – know, they just naturally lost steam. But, I mean, through the first – eight weeks or so like there was something kind of wild going on and, that and i've never seen as right, a native of dallas right ever. and so and and i think i mean we kept we kept obviously banging the drum but it just felt like to watch it happen naturally was just something insane you're just like oh no there's they're not only are they just winning games they're winning games with one of the most fun offenses probably the most fun offenses past year in the state yeah um they're winning it with great defense. They're winning it on both sides of the ball. They're winning it with a recl- somebody who embodies the reclamation project in Shane Bichelle, right? Where it was right. like, here's this opportunity for him to kind of step into the spotlight and be the guy. And he kind of embodied that whole team, you know, full of guys like that um, with occasionally a sprinkle of local Dallas talent, right? Obviously, Shane Bichelle's from Arlington. So, like, sure. um, they're doing it. They're, they're, they're marketing themselves as that DFW team, also as that second chance team. And... Like Greg, like Greg said, like you don't have to wait, right? You can get these guys like TJ McDaniel and put them in the incubator for a little bit and have right. him watch Kamon uh, Freeman and Xavier Jones, uh, uh, you know, rush for all these yards. You can put somebody. Um, I'm trying to forget their. I'm trying to remember their quarterback. Terrence Gibson, I think, is their quarterback. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can put him yeah. in the incubator and watch. Uh, yeah, from Westfield, put him there. Have him sit behind Shane Bichelle and have a winning quarterback right out the gate and have this guy who's talented and re- was really good at uh, Spring Westfield ready to go when he leaves. So it's it's kind of an interesting. Uh, uh, conveyor belt almost of like, right. of of, uh, of quality they have going there. Well, it's like sprinkling in a high profile transfer, sprinkling in a couple of top tier JUCO guys, yeah, yeah. while also building a strong base with Texas high school football recruits. You know, I yeah. think that's a smart way to approach it, and they've done a great job of doing it. And I want to contrast that with schools like UTSA and Texas State, who perhaps hit high school pretty hard in their first couple of years under Withers and, and Wilson, but obviously the talent wasn't there depth wise to you know to to 
it was always constantly waiting for the potential to break out, right? right. They didn't do that where they got guys ready to go at a JUCO, at a, tran- a transfer It's about pool. the wins, man. It's about the wins. And so you can, you can have these talented kids come in as freshmen and play right away, but like if they're just used to losing and they just get pummeled every week, right. like they, could, they could be fine by their senior year, but they're probably not going to reach their potential just thrown to the wolves right away. Right. Well, well and, and I think that's an interesting thing to bring up. I mean, like, when you have guys yeah. at SMU who are, you know, who have played at that highest level. Yeah. You know, when you bring in Shane Bouchel, mm-hmm. when you bring in Michael Williams, mm-hmm. when you bring in Reggie Robertson, I mean. Cameron Jones. Yeah. yeah. The list just goes These are guys away. who have, one, been around big programs where they've seen guys who know how to do things right. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, now they're here. They're upperclassmen. They're guys who are in their fourth or fifth year of college football. Yep. They know how you're supposed to prepare to, to win at a high level. And and I think that you're right. I mean, not to make this about you know some of the lower teams in the yeah. state, but it's like, man, I understand that some of these teams, like UTEP's an example of guys who bring in grad transfers, but you're not bringing in you know, guys who have necessarily been at programs that know how to win either, mm-hmm. you know, ha- that have necessarily been in situations where they've been successful before, you know. So I, I think what SMU is doing here is really intriguing. And-, and obviously Houston has also tried to do this a little bit too the last couple of years. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll tell you what. I, If you had told me when Sonny Dykes was hired that SMU was going to be the team with the great rising culture, that was going to be the team that was churned around right away. Not, <laughs> not that I didn't believe in Sonny Dykes, sure. but – but what he's doing here, yeah. it, it, both from a recruiting, from a talent evaluation, uh, from a culture perspective, versus what even we saw at Louisiana Tech where he was very successful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. I think the thing that's impressed me most about Sonny Dykes is that he's not, he's not just trying to do what he did at Cal and yeah. saying, like, oh, it just didn't work there. We're going to do that exact same thing We're just going to pass all right. We're always. just going to run my offense. We're going to do this. He's like – taken so many hands-off approaches and yeah. taken the more like yeah obviously overall yes it is his idea right yeah. Shane Bichelle is his type of quarterback but he's not throwing it 70 times a game right, right. he's not gonna try to rack up 70 points he's doing it with a well-balanced approach that was partially Rhett Lashley which I mean that hire in general was him saying you know what maybe I don't need to be the only voice in the room maybe I can yeah. pass it off to somebody who knows who has his own philosophy who knows what he's doing and he's recruiting to that he's not getting you know again the thing at Cal was just like, oh, we're just going to throw it 70 times and, you know, hopefully we score 70 because, you know, right. they're going to score 60, right? <laughs> well, and the other thing that I love about it is that he has a room of a ton of coaches under 40. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I love about it, right, because, like, a lot of the time when you do that, you're trying to get recruiters, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, these guys can recruit very well, don't get me wrong. Right. But they got a, a lot of guys who really like football and, like, coaching football and know their X's and O's. And, and I mean – that's one of the things I love about it. Like I was talking to Trey Haverty this week, and obviously former record-breaking Texas Tech receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he's coaching safeties there now. He's been a defensive coordinator before. Yeah. You know I I love when you can kind of get these young guys in the room who have good ideas, uh, but who also know their ball. You in know. That, in that vein, as far as recruiting is concerned, you see these guys often. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a true telltale to me that they care about what they're doing because when you constantly see Rhett Lashley, Trey Haverty, Rashad samples out at games or practices or on social media, you know, recruiting all the time, that means that they're a hundred percent bought in. Definitely. And I think that you can see those results and, I, a quick count while you guys were talking, I, mm-hmm. I counted 12 P5 transfers over the last two years who've wow. transferred into SMU. Mm-hmm. And one of the names that kind of jumps out to me on that list is Brandon Stevens mm-hmm. from UCLA because he was a running back. Yeah, Never had played <laughs> defensive back before that they – 
saw something in to say, I'm going to bring this guy that played running back in high school, Mm -hmm. played running back at UCLA, but I think he can play corner here or play in the defensive backfield at SMU, and he he could. Right. You know, so, I mean, (laughs) those are the types of guys that they are having success with reclamation projects, and that's not all about talent. That's about coaching. Well, and and that's the thing, right, is like – it's easy to just be like, all right, Brandon Stevens, we're going to just kind of bash you into the line over and over, right? It takes a good defensive back coach to say, we're going to teach you on the fly to do this. We yeah. think that you're talented enough. And don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, not that it was Brandon's fault, but, you know, they got beat sometimes in that secondary. You know, mm-hmm. it was still a growing unit. But, right. like, you know, the fact that they were able to, to find guys really quickly. I mean, Richard McBride is another guy, you know, uh, Auburn linebacker who they're like, You've been kind of hurt all the past couple of years, and we're going to get you ready, and you're going to lead our team in tackles. You know, I mean, I, I just love this mix of coaching ability mixed with recruiting ability mixed with a really good strategy, in my opinion. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to be excited about, I think, at SMU. But, but let's go ahead and move on. So, look, I think that all of us probably thought that Seth Littrell probably wouldn't be here by the class of 2020. Right. I mean, there's a little bit of a surprise, but, you know, the credit to him right now is that he responded by bringing in Conference USA's number one signing class. Uh, Greg, when you kind of look at this class, I mean, what do you kind of see with it? What do you think they kind of addressed? Well, first off, they have a good number. They signed 22 players to a letter of intent. Um, most of those are high school kids who will be able to continue to build depth. Uh, they do a pretty good job, especially in Texas, recruiting as well, doing good evaluations. I'll point to a guy like Garnett Burke from Garland Lakeview Centennial. Of course, Lakeview Centennial had an up year for Lakeview Centennial this year, and they also have the fortune of having you know the number one rated in-state running back on their roster in Kamar Wheaton. Uh, but Garnett Burke was one of these guys who a lot of schools really weren't beating down his door, but then when you go watch him play, you see, oh, wow, this is – now I see what North Texas saw in this guy. He's a he's a real football player. Multiple uh, positions in the defensive backfield. Played some offense. I think his best fit safety, but he could play corner as well. Uh, has that type of skill set. And they did a pretty good job, I think, up front. And a guy and a guy like Cade Bond uh, from Magnolia plays on a very good. Uh, team there at Magnolia to mix him in with a guy like Jet Jet Duncan and some of the recruits that they signed last year. You start to see them reforming an offensive line unit that, and of course, you need that if you're North Texas to pro- to protect the quarterback who is going to throw the football around a whole awfully lot within mm-hmm. that offense. And to me, Eric Williams is like the 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 ringleader of that offensive line unit. You look at his measurables right now, and of course, this is the Lubbock Coronado offensive tackle. Six five two fifty, <laughs> and you know that he's got the base to grow grow on when you hear that. But he's a long armed guy, and he is truly one of those guys who could, if things go right, develop into a potential NFL guy one day because he has the tools that you're looking for. He's a far away from that now because you need to add fifty pounds. Yeah, you know, right. you're not <laughs> saying he needs to add twenty pounds. This guy probably needs to add fifty pounds, but he has the tool set in place to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you. Okay, so Detravian Brown, what ha- what happened with that situation? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, uh, Detravian Brown, uh, a wide receiver from from Shreveport Northwood, he said that he announced that he was signing a letter of intent with Ole Miss, and it comes out that he doesn't, I guess, have have, an offer. have no, a committable offer. Ole Miss, Ole Miss claimed that he, they never sent him an offer. Yeah, or a committable offer. Yeah. yeah. 
Is that something that you've kind of seen before? It it is. Uh, we've seen that a few different times in the in the past. It usually doesn't go as far as like this went. I can remember. <laughs> sort of two, it, I can remember yeah. maybe like two other instances in the last fifteen years where something like that has happened. But I have to give credit to Detravian on how he handled the whole situation mm-hmm. because he didn't like make excuses and say, he didn't trash he, Ole Miss yeah, at yeah, all. He didn't he, trash Ole Miss. He didn't. Yeah. He basically said that he felt from his end that it was a misunderstanding and uh, manned up about the whole thing. And I I think that's an admirable trait, uh, especially for a young kid in a process that can sometimes be very confusing. Mm -hmm. And I can firsthand tell you that it's it's a very confusing process for some people, and justifiably so, because you have multi-million or sometimes billion-dollar institutions Mm -hmm. trying to woo – uh, 16 and 17 year old kids to come play yeah. college football for their program. It's a big deal. Yeah. You know, and sometimes even the coaches don't have clear cut answers on what's going on. They can be all in on a kid, but no, I can only take this kid if so and so is transferring or right, right. this person is leaving my roster. And they can't really say that in the recruiting pitch mm-hmm. always because you have to understand the nature of that kid. Yeah. You know, that if, if you know that kid and you're going to say, well, I can only take you if this, and that's going to be a huge red flag to that kid, and he's no, never going to consider your program again, you have to come up with a strategy of how to continue to recruit that young young student athlete. Right, and I think I think one of the – I keep <laughs> – I keep wondering about like the phrasing that could have possibly gotten right. confused because right. like something as simple as like you know oh we hope to have you around or hope we you know something like that could send a kid like thinking like oh they For want sure. me around like that's that's an offer that's a verbal right or something like that or it's like oh we hope to you know hope to see you on campus again hope we can't wait to work with you or see you know talk to you again something like that like something as simple as that a kid could have been like oh I'm on, on I'm I'm on old Mrs. Radar you know and I I have some advice for the young recruits who may be listening to the show or potentially signing in next year's class or future classes if the university has not sent you a signing day packet yeah by the time you wake up on national signing day don't sign with that school or say that you're signing with that school because they're not taking you if you don't have something to fax in yeah yeah you're not a committed you don't have a committable offer yeah Yeah. well and and i mean not not to get too off track but i mean i know that kenyatta watson's dad was was kind of uh, Mm. who's, who's a player at texas he was talking about a lot of kind of fake recruiting accounts that have been made out there. Like there was a guy who was a fake University of Tennessee yeah. uh, like recruiting assistant. Ohio State yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's obviously social media. I think has been really interesting because it helps people get in touch with kids. It helps people communicate with kids, stuff like that. But man, it is it's pretty easy for this stuff to obviously get misconstrued in a case like like that. But also just people lie. Right. It's a bit of the wild, wild west as far as that goes to be honest with you i mean and it'll be interesting to see what changes the ncaa comes up with to combat these type of issues um who's it it's tough too because you know there are a lot of you as someone who is in a scouting service that provides a scouting service to colleges and does that as their job i can tell you that there are a lot of improprieties that you see in plain view you know um college coaches cannot talk to people about recruits that aren't NCAA certified scouting organizations. Mm-hmm. They can't talk to media. So when you see a media person saying, you know, source says so-and-so committed, um, 
there are ways to circumvent it from being an NCAA recruiting violation, but by and large, most of the time, that's a recruiting violation. When you see a uh, – the difference between a scouting service and a recruiting service is, you know, a scouting service charges a college a fee to become a member of their website or uh, program, and a recruiting service charges the parents and the kids. And when you see a recruiting service say, I just talked to a NCAA head coach, that's a recruiting violation. NCAA head coach should not be talking to a recruiting service or a handler or a third party uh, about recruits. So it's just like – and you see it so often, and I think that at some point there either has to be a tightening of the legislature or governing body to – clamp down on that or a loosening of it to say this is now free and clear for everybody to help kids get you know what i mean so yeah, there has to yeah. be some kind of forward progress in one manner or another to either limit it or just say forget it everybody can do it yeah. you know that's the way i see it yeah well and it is kind of interesting because like uh you know for example i mean it's, it's funny like right now, you cannot talk about uh, what's happening at SME without talking about Preston Stone, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like it's kind of funny. Like Sonny Dice can't talk about him, you know. Garrett <laughs> right. Riley can't talk about him. Now, the flip side is obviously, you know, you don't want a coach getting up at press conferences and trying to shout out the right kids and all. I mean, it just gets confusing. I understand that part, yeah. but it is just kind of interesting uh, how this all works. And and obviously, the biggest priority is you want to protect the kids. You want their best interests at heart. And uh, but it's. Whew, makes for a very confusing process it is it's it's very confusing and you kind of mentioned it you know because there are texas and texas a&m right are going to have a a bigger media flex than tcu Mm -hmm. um if the coach at texas goes out and shouts out a recruit in his press conference everybody's going to hear it or hear it more because the media coverage on that school is heavier at texas and that's an unfair to me recruiting advantage you can't you know that 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 to me, is fair. That should be a rule. You can't talk about recruits in the media because yeah. the more powerful program you are, the further reach you're going to have. But mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of yeah. social media um, rules in place. To me, you know, with canceling the text messaging, the social media thing, I, I think it was a step in the right direction to loosen that up. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that they could have forced you know, had a crystal ball, so to speak, to see into the future and say, wow, social media has not only changed recruiting, it's changed our lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we react in, uh, on our daily differently now because of social media than we did three years ago. Mm-hmm. It's more prevalent. So I think that they, the NCAA will continue and needs to continue to try to stay in front of these issues. But as we see it as college football fans, sometimes we feel like they're behind. Yeah. Yeah, Ish, did you have any questions? Uh, nothing. Oh, well, I'm trying to think. What were you, what were your thoughts on? This is a personal, obviously biased, <laughs> but what were your thoughts on Texas State's strategy? Because I mean, they went they, heavy JUCO. They went heavy JUCO after years of really maybe touching one or two uh, every signing class, maybe. I think that Texas State's trending up. I mean, mm-hmm. you you always hesitate to say that with certain schools because you get caught in a trap where you say so-and-so is trending up and then it never happens. Right. Right. You know, but I see Texas state as a school with the talent that I see that they either recruited from the Juco ranks or have transferring in Mm -hmm. as a team. That's not going to be the same Texas state team that you saw this year. It's a completely, it's going to be a completely different team. Right. You know, so I think that they, I don't want to say that they're pattern patterning 
themselves after SMU, but I think that they saw where their deficiencies were year one Mm -hmm. and how to address them in the most quickly and efficient way so that we can have success in year two and started to do that. And I think if you're a Texas State fan that you have to be intrigued by that and think that your team's going to be completely different now and hopeful that that equates to wins because when the wins start to rack up, then you can start to get that momentum to continue to get high-profile guys to come in who can be immediate contributors, whether it's from JUCO or transfer, Mm -hmm. and then build – a strong Texas high school recruiting base. Yeah. You know, that's really what it's about. San Marcos is a good destination, I think. So right. Centrally located mm-hmm. and, you know, in between Austin and San Antonio. So I think there are some really good things to like about it. One of the other ones I had was more on, I guess, we're – Well, and, and real quick, if I can jump in yeah, uh, on Texas State just before we move on. I mean, like we're talking about with SMU, I mean mm-hmm. – uh, Texas State now has a couple of those types of guys, right? You know, right. Brady McBride has been at, been at Memphis. He's mm-hmm. not part of this class, but that's a guy who's been around a winning program. Right. You know, Jamal Jeter, like that's mm-hmm. another kid at Oklahoma State, a running back coming in. He's a guy who knows how to do the right things. And obviously, you hope that some of these JUCO guys as well, you know, have maybe been around winning before, have been around winning places, winning cultures, and kind of have learned to do the right thing. So you kind of hope that maybe you start to see that a little bit more. Yeah. I think uh, one of the other ones I have is, I guess this is the was this the fourth or fifth year of the early signing day? Yeah, the third. Third? third? Is it third? third. Okay, maybe I think it was twenty seven. Third or fourth. Yeah. Anyway, point is we're almost a full recruiting cycle through like a class as yeah. far as collegiate goes, as far as like kids knowing this is the process, right? Yeah. Um there's been they've been through uh, this past year was either freshmen or sophomores were them realizing that this is just how the recruiting cycle is gonna go for them. Mm-hmm. Um what are your thoughts on it, and more, more specifically, in the case of like a UTSA versus a Baylor, which Baylor obviously made a new head coaching hire but retained a lot of their staff. Um, <coughs> obviously losing coordinators here and there, but for the most part, in comparison to other coaching hires, they maintained a lot of the bulk of it. As opposed to UTSA, who cleaned house, right? Every time there's a coaching change, there's always talk of the quote-unquote transition class. Um, a class that's really not attributed to them, but you know, obviously they still have to put something together. With the early signing day, obviously that just kind of gets a little bit more uh, stressful. I feel like in trying to put something together. What do you think about how Dave Aranda did at Baylor versus how Jeff Trailer did with this new recruiting cycle? Well, for me, I think it's like you kind of said it. It's because of the because of the early signing period, it creates two separated timelines um, for what people are trying to do in recruiting. You know, Jeff Trailer and his staff at UTSA had a couple weeks or a few weeks before the first signing period to evaluate kids on their roster, make possibly new offers, and push for a few guys Mm -hmm. in that early signing period. Whereas Dave Aranda and his staff, it was pretty much done. They're trying to get big-time guys to – who Baylor had already been on and make sure that so-and-so doesn't ask for a release from his, you know, his NL. It's kind of like a different type of beast. And I think that's all built around when you make the move, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing when these coaching changes may happen. I'm, I'm a huge proponent if I'm going to, and of course, if you're a Baylor fan, you couldn't have like saw Matt rule leaving for the NFL, you know, during the early signing period, it wasn't like a thing right then. They were getting ready to play or had played for the – I think they were getting ready to play for the Big 12 championship or had just played mm-hmm. the Big 12 championship on December 18th uh, the, during that first signing period. So I think it's two different two different beasts completely, okay. you know, and that's how I would look at those coaching changes. I would want my team to do it before the early signing period so I could salvage right. something. But I don't think there's anything wrong with – 
like if you're Dave Aranda mm-hmm. saying, well, I have seven scholarships. Here are the seven guys I like. I'm going to get them in. No, we'll probably save those for next year. We're not, my staff can do a better job of evaluating the seven best guys who can fit into this program. Mm-hmm. And if they have those numbers, then you look at possible transfers too – because while they did keep some people, I think there are going to be a lot of changes yeah. You know, on both offensive and defensive side of the football that they n- may need some immediate personnel that they don't necessarily have mm-hmm. on campus. Uh, as far as evaluating the early signing period, it continues to change. You know, Last year you saw a lot of offers for the younger kids coming out after National Signing Day, but mm-hmm. now that they've made February a completely uh, dead period, right? all these offers for the younger kids came from like January 15th to January 31st. And that was like a new wrinkle that wasn't ever really seen before in recruiting. It was almost like a second evaluation period. As you saw colleges pouring into Texas high schools and like making offers and getting pictures with the coaches Mm -hmm. and doing this thing that you really never saw in January before, but that's because they've gotten used to that early signing period. They can wrap up their class, in December, and then when January hits after the Christmas break, they can plan out their strategy for those younger kids, and that's why we saw so much action in January for the younger classes and Mm -hmm. recruits that we've never seen before. Bear in mind, these kids are going to start taking official visits now in April. Right. I mean, that's a huge thing to me, and each year you see more and more kids taking their official visits in early spring because it's imperative for the colleges to get them on campus before – they make their decision. Right. You know, so what's become more important is the unofficial visit in the fall. Mm-hmm. You need to get your top recruits on your campus for a game for an unofficial <laughs> visit. And if yeah. you don't, you can kind of start to read the tea leaves on where recruit A is going to possibly go. He didn't take a visit to Texas during the season. So he didn't see a game atmosphere at Texas. That's going to give Texas a disadvantage yeah. for that recruit, even if they've offered him early. One of the, uh, one of the other follow-ups is – you know, if you're a recruit, and I'm wondering how you kind of feel about this, is there a with the new with this with the early signing day? Is there a good t- or what is the best time for a program to move on from a head coach? Yeah, that's definitely because well, if you're if you're if you're Tay McWilliams, right, yeah, and you sign yeah. in the early signing period, and then Matt Rule leaves, obviously he can't help. You know, the school can't help that. But in general, when a coaching move is is done, right? When is there a preferred time for a recruit? I guess we're saying when we say that a preferred time for the recruit, not the not the program is what right yeah well, well, well either or you know right? because, because like baylor baylor obviously would like to know you know like probably in october when well, like and, and nothing's think, really going on i think that one of the most interesting ways to talk about this is the case of somebody like mark d'antonio who's like sure yeah i've known for a year that th- i might leave right and he decided now obviously pick the worst time the day before national signing day right to leave but it's like kind of weird yeah if you're mark d'antonio mm-hmm. right like, is it better to announce for the year? Is it better to announce in, like, October? Right. Is it better to announce the day after the season ends? When is well, it? Well, I'm kind of surprised. I actually thought that it was going to be a new trend or a new thing, mm-hmm. the Bob Stoops pattern. Yeah. Yeah. You Where know, you just in July you, or June. Yeah, if you're whatever. talking about, like, what had the least effect on uh, – an actual program issues right. you got to go internal though then like like that's would be the best scenario that's why it was it's a be- it was definitely the best scenario for lincoln right. riley yeah. and it, right. but to me i think it's been the best scenario for ou 
And yeah. you can look a little bit to the Urban Meyer to Ryan Day transition as patterning itself a little bit after OU, but the yeah. timing was completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not I'm a little bit surprised that you don't see now these coaching changes being made sometimes in the spring where or early summer where you don't have to worry about your recruits leaving or it being a huge issue where you've ruffled some feathers with some maybe some coaching contacts that you may have to that help recruiting mm-hmm. um but it's a it's a business you know this is a business i think that the people who are involved with recruiting whether they're a head coach at a high school or a trainer who may have an influence over a young recruit or a parent who is involved with helping a student athlete go through the recruiting process or an advisor mm-hmm. uh, at the high school, you know, like a student advisor or a academic advisor who may be on campus that helps these kids pick their colleges based on academics. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's completely different to them because they're all going to have their own opinion, but they all do understand now, I think, that it's a business. There are one-offs. Sure. sure. Re- recruiting is unique and individual. Mm-hmm. Um, there are one-offs to every situation, but I think by and large people who are dealing with this understand kind of what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it is so hard too because, like, I mean, for example, with the Bob Soup strategy, like, imagine if, if a new coach didn't get spring to install a system, for example. You right. know, it just – it gets so hard. I mean, there really is. I, I think that basically the consensus when when people are talking about it is there is never a good time for a you know a coach to leave for a program to make a change. The best traditional time is right at the end of the season. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know the the quicker that you can make that decision, the better. Yeah, uh, if you're an administration, to me, like mm-hmm. I'd want to see that change made. If I if I know my coach is on the hot seat, mm-hmm. that's a you know that's the way I would look at it. Not like it's a random he left to go to the NFL right, right, or right. something happened and they had to fire him because of of yeah. something. There's happened something that are inevitable right there are some things that, but if it's like a traditional situation where the coach is on the hot seat i think that you have to have made your mind up uh, before the end of the season yeah you know and that way whenever the season ends or whenever you decide i mean even a couple weeks before if you decide that you're you have a head coach who's a lame duck head coach go on and make that change and see you know see who see which kids are really in with your program and see which kids who are in with the coach because it 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 happens really fast. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna know right away like which kids committed to school X because they love the campus and the tradition, mm-hmm. and which kids were committing because I love the quarterback coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's close with this, okay? Uh, so we've talked kind of about obviously some of the higher ranked teams in the state. So when you look at sort of that bottom group of, of teams in uh, in the state right now, so Texas State, UTSA, UTEP, and Rice, it, did one of them? make you know do enough i guess to to where you're starting to see oh maybe they're heading in a direction or or is it still kind of these four programs are still well i think you have to throw texas state out because it's so such a non-traditional style that they've yeah you can't just say well their recruiting class is really good that's not what it was simply about for them you know it was about adding transfers and juco recruits and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff Rice is at a marked disadvantage to me in recruiting always mm-hmm. because they can't do that. They don't add junior college guys. They right. You don't see a lot of players transferring into Rice. It's mm-hmm. a really difficult school to get into. They have to recruit. I mean, last year, two of the guys who did were from Harvard. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they're getting guys from bounce backs from Alabama who were from Texas <laughs> that now want to come home to Houston. You know, it's yeah. a different situation. Uh, but I kind of like the, the way that they've started to evolutionize uh, their recruiting presence in the state of Texas, uh, and they're look—they're never going to be Stanford, 
yeah. right? You know, right. that they're on the national scale. Sure. Uh, they're never going to go into a lot of these other states and be able to flex like that with the uh, with the academics, uh, how tough it is to get in at Rice. But they have started to get some of the guys who are not only great students, but also great football players in the state of Texas to consider Rice more seriously. And I can verify that just with, you know, the Next Level Athlete Top 100 showcases of event that's been going on for 15 years in the state of texas rice had their junior day uh, on that day mm-hmm. that we had the camp in houston and there was i don't want to say it's competition because if a kid would ask us should i go to rice's junior day or come to the texas top 100 most of the time unless it's like a very special situation we would say go to junior day yeah we would advise that kid to say you know come to a go to a different camp sometime but yeah go to junior day you know but you see you saw that they were getting top kids because we were having the same kids come to the camp. Mm-hmm. They were getting these top kids to come to their junior day. Mm-hmm. So I think you're starting to see a bit of a change down there with Rice and, and Coach Bloomgren about what they're able to do on campus there and the type of quality football player that they're starting to get who is also a great student because right. that's that is very difficult to do and and they're starting to find it i think a little bit that's how it, they're finding they're finding their groove maybe yeah. there yeah Rice. yeah and i mean I'll, I'll jump in and say i mean when you look at sort of their ranking among conference usa classes they finished number nine out of 14 teams but but their average recruit rating is number six mm-hmm. at rice you right. know i mean i mean at rice and that's obviously not the easiest place to recruit to for all the reasons that you mentioned obviously they also you know, they bring in a not a guy who's a bounce back per se, but but a TCU transfer at quarterback, a guy who played at Penn, obviously, right. and Michael Collins. I, I, I mean, I, I I agree. I really like what Rice did. Did you have fun? Uh, no, I think it's Rice. I think it's clearly Rice because you look at the other programs, and at least right now, like you know, UTSA is in a transition. Still class. very early. Houston. Uh, we'll see what they're kind of doing there. Right. I, 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 feel, I still it think it looks like a full on rebuild. Right, right, right. full on rebuild. Um, UTEP. I mean, they. It's. I have. I'm <sighs> still waiting to see UTEP what they're doing. Signed there. so many out of state kids that I can't really. T- you know right, I mean? right, huge, right. Like they went into areas that I've never <laughs> like expected UTEP <laughs> to go into right. before. So it's hard for me to judge the UTEP class. Yeah, and and like we talked about North Texas, I do think they did something really good this year. But I Definitely. mean, I think the story is Rice and. How you mentioned, like they're having to recruit guys to a system that isn't run a lot in Texas, especially right. where at the high level. Um, you know, you have some people running obviously I formation, single back, and things like that in some parts of the state, but at the FBS talent level, right? There, yeah. I mean, I know for a couple, they went for New Jersey for an offensive lineman. Like mm-hmm. obviously, like a lot of these linemen aren't used to you know sticking their hand in the dirt, right? It's a lot of stand up and you know <laughs> uh, drop back and pass protect and pass pro. Um, they're having to adjust a lot of things, and some mm-hmm. of that does mean going out of state or maybe going to a JUCO uh, for a product that learned how to a block a certain way or you know uh, play to a certain scheme. And I think it is kind of respectable that you know when Mike Bloom, Bloomgren came in, we saw we're like, okay, we like this idea and concept, right? Go get a Stanford guy, somebody who's used to dealing with recruiting uh, kind of handcuffs on him, and did it successfully. Okay, now he. It's easy to just buy in based off words, right? It's like, oh, look, this guy looks like a fit. But he's showing that he, okay, he understands the challenges with Rice, with Rice in the state of Texas more specifically. And, I mean, I, I think he's doing a really good job. They're finding their footing, and you look up and down that list, and they have guys on it who are football players. Yeah. And you know that they're great students because they're going they're to Rice. Right. Yeah, they're right. Rice. You know? <laughs> but 
when you turn on the tape and you say, wow, this guy's like a true football player, I think that starts to open your eyes. And coming from Stanford, right. you know, that's kind of the same thing that they built there. They don't have to do it on that same level mm-hmm. at Rise to be successful. They can do it on a lesser scale. But if they can have a – Sorry, if they can have a tough-ass football team yeah. full of good students, <laughs> yeah. then I think that their their team is going to be really fun to watch, and it can start to be a product in Houston that people can be excited about. And the other, then again, another thing they're battling with is you know obviously the the natural recruiting uh, handcuffs they have, but also like they're the, the fact that they're what the third school that those type of students like the, if you get a big time prospect who's a smart kid he's going to go to stanford he's going to go to vanderbilt well, he's going to yeah. go to those other schools and, and then northwestern you're northwestern even, right like, and so you, a lot of you so you're obviously a high uh, high academic standard school but you're also the lowest of the, of the on field products yeah. so you're you again you're going to have to sift even further <laughs> you're the only one too that just in general i mean cuz i think that i was talking to mike bloomgren last year like the idea of taking over one of these programs was very attractive to him right yeah. one of the academic titans mm-hmm. uh, and he Listed them off. It's the only group of five one because I think you yeah. mentioned Duke as well, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, there there are schools obviously uh, where you have to deal with some of those limitations. This is the only one where you're playing at the group of five level. Like yeah. at least others, you're beating out other schools because you're a good school playing at the power. You five have level. to do a true job of great evaluating there yeah. because mm-hmm. you're not going to. I mean. You could probably beat out Duke for some players, right? You yeah, know, if you're Rice, yeah, you know, you you would you can get a, you can get a you can kid get to a, stay home, maybe you can get yeah. a kid mm-hmm. to stay home. But by and large, you have to do a great job of evaluating players who may have went to the Ivy League but are better than that, right? You know, and, and should possibly play on your team. And I think that they're doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's why Rice stands out. Well, let's uh, let's finish with this uh, UTEP twenty five commitments uh, out of Conference USA. The average rating for, for the recruits of the next worst class, which is Marshall, 81.07. UTEP's at a cool 78. So, yeah. uh, you know, we love you, UTEP. We love you, Dana Dimmel. But for God's sake, <laughs> please show us it. something. We need to please see show it. us something. I need to see it. <laughs> I, I, w- I will speak on UTEP a Go little bit, you know, because I don't think that it's an it's to me I would pepper out a, l- a little bit more offers you know and right. make a little bit more impact <laughs> with at least your name brand across yeah. the state and but maybe if you're UTEP you go about the strategy of saying if I offer a kid maybe that puts him on the radar of a program because they you know they went so heavy like into Arizona mm-hmm. and uh, California I think Utah you know some of these programs maybe that creates a marker for new mexico state or utah state or you know some of these programs that go after their kids so they keep them under wraps and maybe that's why we don't hear as much from utep although i think utep fans want to see more of a social media presence and you know in-state presence um with recruiting i just think that what they're working against is the reason why you don't see it so that's that's my defense case for utep there you go if i'm making one (laughs) yeah well now you know Texas A&M's taking the step. Now you know Rice is going to obviously be amazing next year. <laughs> we know that Texas State obviously going to make a bowl game. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> as always, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, thanks to our guest Greg Powers from Next Level Athlete for jumping on. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to us 
Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Text Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. If you have not as yet, become a subscriber, TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Make sure and check out the basketball content that we've got going on right now, TexasBasketball.com. Uh, I put up a story just last week on Javon Jackson, the, the shooting guard over at uh, UTSA. I know that we got a lot of women's content coming in from Justin Carter. We got all sorts of stuff. TexasFootball.com. starting up in high school, too, in the Ooh, next week, so yeah, there you go. Yeah, things are about to, to get lit. We got the number one men's team in the country and the number two women's team in the country defending national champs playing in the state there's plenty of reasons to check out our website right now so uh, thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you guys again next week next week next week next week next week next week